Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss plushcare.com slash weight loss ready to pop the question the jewelers at blue have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds and they're ready to ship to your door Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Hello, I'm Sophie Ellis-Bexter and welcome to Spinning Plates, the podcast where I speak to busy working women who also happen to be mothers about how they make it work. I'm a singer and I've released seven albums in between having my five sons aged 16 months to 16 years, so I spin a few plates myself. Being a mother can be the most amazing thing, but can also be hard to find time for yourself and your own ambitions. I want to be a bit nosy and see how other people balance everything. Welcome to Spinning Plates. Good day to you. I'm trying not to start every podcast going, hello, how are you? Every time I record my podcast some weird noise starts I think that's Richard in the garden with a leaf blower is that very annoying that's probably a bit too annoying isn't it well I'll persevere just in case um I mean the thing is Richard does my editing so he might decide that he's gonna let himself off with the leaf blower and it's not too annoying (laughs) I've had to start recording the introduction to this week's podcast three times in my house because it's so hard to find a quiet place so now I'm in my bedroom actually uh sealed away um and uh rather embarrassingly uh I recorded today's um guest Jacqueline Gold in my house and it was the most noisy place I've recorded any of my podcasts so my house is a noisy house what more can I say that is the world I live in um I'm really excited about, um, I get excited about all the guests, I know that, but Jacqueline for me was um, a really special chat because um, I didn't know her at all, we only met for the first time when we met to have our conversation and so I was really, really, really happy that she'd said yes, that she wanted to speak to me, so that was lovely, Um, but also she is one of those women that I was kind of always someone I admired from afar. So Jacqueline is the CEO of Anne Summers um, and she comes across as a very gentle woman. You'll hear in her voice, she's, she's got a gentle speaking voice. However, she is a very strong, um, formidable and actually quite a radical woman. Um, 
And I think being radical is something that you can maybe push a bit further if you can slightly um, hypnotise people with a gentle voice. At least I imagine something like that might have happened when aged 21, she made a decision at the company she was working, Anne Summers, that ended up revolutionising, I suppose, how the sex shop is on the high street. Um, so back in the early 80s, Jacqueline had the idea when she was working at Anne Summers. She, she was only planning to work there as a sort of work experience, short-term thing. Um, and back then, women um, as consumers in the sex industry were only 10% of the consumers. The rest of them were what she called men, the, the raincoat brigade. So sort of scurrying in and out of the sex shops. Um, but having visited... Um, I think she said it was a, a clothing party that was equivalent to like a Tupperware party... Um, she went there with a, one, an, an Anne Summers colleague and she thought, hang on a minute, what if we did um, lingerie and sex toys just for women at parties, like a Tupperware party, but an Anne Summers party? And it changed everything. And now women are 70% of the consumers. They are 70% of the consumers in sex shops, but I doubt that they are 70% of the CEOs. So, Anne, you know... <laughs> Jacqueline is still a trailblazer. She's still a revolutionary kind of woman. And we have a lot to thank her for because she has changed how women are perceived when it comes to thinking about their sexual selves. You know, back in the late 70s, early 80s, women were still thought to not really enjoy sex and not want to be participating in buying anything that might be just to enhance their pleasure, which is ridiculous but also such recent history that's quite scary isn't it anyway um i'm going to emerge from my quiet bedroom and go down into my noisy kitchen to make a cup of tea uh if you've listened to me before you'll know i have it white with one i'm happy to put on the kettle for you too uh, i'm going to listen again to um to the conversation i had with jacqueline because uh yeah i think she's pretty cool and uh has really done so much it can't really be underestimated how much she's achieved in her life she's also mother to a 10 year old girl um and a little boy who she speaks very tenderly and with clarity and practicality and gentleness who sadly died when he was a few months old so um so thank you to Jacqueline for her time her wisdom her words and thank you to you for listening again to me and Jacqueline so uh yeah have have a listen and see you on the other side I was thinking about talking to you today I was thinking what would probably work best is if we both speak at double the pace we do normally because there's so many things to talk to you about <laughs> I don't think I'm going to have long enough I will do my best to shoehorn it okay. in but your life has packed in more than more than most people have um so why don't we start with the here and now so what is happening in your working life at the moment um well, it's quite a challenging time, not just for retail in general, but just because, you know, of the coronavirus, you mm. know, it's really quite, um, everybody's got to be on their game of how they make it all work. Yeah. Um, so, but that aside, you know, we've got some great things do going on. We've just brought out this new range called My Viv, which is all about my very important vagina. Okay. Um, my Viv. My Viv. Okay. Is Viv just like the short name for a vagina? That's just the short name, but I did manage to get Lorraine Kelly to say vagina twice <laughs> on, on Lorraine. So really? I feel like there's a big achievement. <laughs> That's impressive, actually. Yeah, I think so. But I just, I think women just generally, we put ourselves second all the time. And, you know, 
whether we're whatever phase of your life, whether you've just had children or you've gone through the menopause or whatever it is, you know, our sexual well-being is really important. Really important. So, um, and it's not something to be trivialised, which is why we sort of brought out this... Well, actually, the reason I brought out this range, and it's a range of... Um, it's got sex toys in it, but it's actually from therapy right through to pleasure. So okay. it's candles and, um, you know, all sorts of things for, the, for that whole sort of uh, well-being sort of feeling but it was because I had breast cancer I, I don't know if you know that but I I just thought when the man goes to the doctor with I don't know prostate cancer or something the first thing the doctor says is this is going to affect your sex life but with women it's not spoken about really no and I just think you know there needs to be something that makes women feel more comfortable so that's really what I've been doing yeah well actually maybe that's the sort of tip of the iceberg actually and when it's ever spoken about in relation to much else that's going on with women generally our our sex lives and our relationships with our body in that way and I know when you have a baby and all those things it's not really something that it's sort of alluded to sometimes about when it might be appropriate time to restart Mm. your sex life after you've given birth but your you know the hormones and your emotional thing and your connection with yourself again is not really something that I don't know if I would have known who to speak to about that at the time or if it's even really given much no. and much space. We often feel embarrassed or, you know, are they going to think this is silly? Yeah. But it's not silly. Yeah, well, I think also, I don't know, I might be wrong, but certainly, I mean, I'm friends with, I know, the girlfriends where we're very confident about talking about loads of stuff. But I think talking about our sex lives is something that I think is probably, if I drew a, you know, a sort of pie chart of what we talk about, I think it's a really tiny thing it, because most people are still maybe very private but also I feel like it's still quite taboo maybe even when we yeah, were teenagers my friends talk about it all the time yeah, well, maybe it's because of what I do well no but that's good because maybe they felt like it's removed that awkwardness because I'm sure once you um, open the floodgates there's so much to talk about and actually what you've talked about with my Viv and the, the holistic side the, the candles and the massage things that's so key because it's, it's, so, it's so emotional and I think the older you get the better you get recognising the, the mm. need to put that on equal footing really it's not going to ha- you're not going to enjoy yourself if you're not emotionally feeling like you've got the space to do that it's not just a, physiologi- a Def- physical definitely. need definitely and you know there are things that you worry about I I had a mastectomy in February and I thought to myself you know is my husband still going to fancy me you know those are real feelings so that- this is something you've literally just gone through this February just gone uh, sorry, February last year. Okay, okay. The time's flying so fast, but yeah, February last year. Well, that's a massive deal to go. I mean, yeah, that's... So alongside all the stuff that's happening with Anne Summers at the moment, and this is still presumably a Monday to Friday, nine to five job that you're doing all the time. Yeah, I mean, I obviously anybody that's gone through chemotherapy or treatment knows it's a pretty brutal time. And, yeah. it, you know, and, you know, you've got to listen to your body, but... Um, I'm I'm working back full time now because it was just important to me that as soon as I felt well enough, mm. you know, you, you everything is dominated by health issues, and you want to get to a stage where you just have a bit of normality back into your life. Yeah. Um, and obviously, I, I've got a ten-year-old daughter. I wanted her to see mummy being, you know, active and and doing stuff again. So yeah. Um, so yes, yeah, so and I do you know I feel so much better for it. I think it's. For, I mean, it's different for everybody, for, but for me, it's good for my well-being. Yeah, no, well, it is different for everybody, but I think also, I don't know, I've spent a lot of time recently talking, I did a job with um, Macmillan, and they were, introduced me to a lot of people who've been going through cancer treatment, and one thing they were talking about a lot, and this is particularly relevant to me as well, my stepdad's undergoing treatment at the moment, and um, 
They're talking about sometimes when people have had the treatment, it's the bit afterwards that's actually mm. really terrifying because you've had the the shock and the fear of your initial diagnosis, but then there's the, the course of, you know, the treatment that's going to follow. When that's all finished, that's the bit where you've got to think, okay, how do I reconfigure that experience back into the life I was having before? Well, I think you feel a bit vulnerable because you don't have that sort of bubble around you. Yeah. And, you know, there's that tendency to look over your shoulder, but we don't do that when we get in a car, do we? No, no. You know? I know. So that's, you know, what you have to keep telling yourself, I think. Yeah, that must take, I suppose, that sort of the strength of mind and also, I suppose, a little bit knowing how to deal with trauma, really, uh, because it's a sort of invisible trauma, I suppose, once it's once you're the other side of it. Um, as you say, like having that thing of it must just stay in your peripheral vision because mm. you've had your relationship with your body one way and then you've got to start thinking about ways it could, it could you know, harm you, which is a really significant thing to go through. Um, and I know for, for our family... It's been a really steep learning curve. We've all had experiences with cancer before, but having it very close to home is something that mm. it has concentric circles, you know. Everybody's, everybody's affected by it. Um, so throughout all of this, you've obviously got your, your daughter. And what was happening at the time when you first... Did you always want to be a mum from when you were young? Um, I mean, I was, you know, quite ambitious. I, um, you know, had this amazing... Uh, idea that I wanted to do the Ann Summers party plan, which is sort of like Tupperware for those that don't know. Um, so when was the, how old were you when that was? I was only off? 21 when that started. 21? Yeah, and I remember walking down that long corridor and uh, going into the boardroom to talk to some grey-suited men about my idea. And actually one board member stood up, threw his pen on the table and said, well, this isn't going to work, is it? Women aren't even interested in sex. So oh I'm very goodness. glad to all those women that have proved him wrong. Yeah, and um, then some. Yeah, and of course it just took off and it was just amazing. I mean, you know, if you're to have a business that's growing at 20% a year to a point where I had to stop advertising because I literally couldn't cope with the, the rate in which we were growing mm. and all the teething problems that went with it. Um, so it's been quite a phenomenon. And of course there was all the challenges that went with doing something so different that mm. was, you know, quite culture changing you know yeah. sort of all I really ever wanted to do was empower women in the bedroom but yeah. there was so much stigma at the time um and I think the fact that it was always for women only yeah you know made a made a huge dif- difference and sort of created this almost I don't know it's like, almost like a female institution yeah you know because even our stores you know 80% of our customers are women yeah so it's been a fantastic journey for me, fantastic, but not without its colour and, and challenges. Yeah. So 80% of the customers are female for, the, for Anne Summers? Yes. Okay, but when you were young, what, when the company was at the point where you were 21 and walking down to the boardroom, what was the split then? Oh, it was 10%, 10% wow. women. Wow. And, uh, you know, it was a very male-dominated environment. Um, you'd go into the stores and it'd be like, you know, it was the raincoat brigade that were in the stores. Yeah. It was just totally different. And yeah. You know, it's, I guess one of the things I'm most proud of, actually, is the way it has changed so much. Oh, it's a massive, massive shift. I mean, to go from women being the object to being actually the customer, mm. um, you can't really underestimate what a massive deal that yeah. is, especially when this... We're not talking about a couple of shops. We're talking about a massive, you know, something that everybody sees on their, regularly on their high street brand. Mm. This is something that's widespread in every, in every town. Yeah, we have over 100, 100 stores. We had 140 stores at our peak. Um, 
And when I think back, you know, I've been arrested twice, I've had a bullet through the post when I tried to open a store in Ireland, um, and how difficult that was then. Mm. And then in 2016, I think it was, I received a, a CBE from the Queen. I'm thinking, gosh, what a journey, you know, and you can't help yourself but look back and think how it was to what it is like now. I, I know. So what, just to give it sort of a context for me, so when you were 21, what was your role in... Because you'd been working in the company from when? When were you a teenage? Well, I, I did some work experience. Because I mean, it I was had, your dad that was working in the company, is that had, right? He had four stores, mm-hmm. and it was mainly a publishing business then. I had no intention of staying, because, as I said, it was a very male-dominated business. Um, and I was just doing some work experience, and I got invited to... And for those listeners that will remember... Pippa D party. It was like a, a closed party over in Thamesmead. And um, I went along to this party and I, the women at the party knew that I worked at Ann Summers. Mm. And I, I remember sort of drawing a picture of my husband's meat and two veg on a piece of paper on top of my head, um, along with all the other guests at the party as one of the sort of little party games they yeah. had. And I was thinking, this isn't quite how I imagined my career starting. No. <laughs> but it you know, that is where it really started. That's where I got the idea. Women at the party said to me, why don't you do parties for um, women? We want to be able to buy sex toys, but we're too embarrassed to go into a sex shop. So when you went to the, that party and at that point, so they knew about Anne Summers being a sex shop, but presumably they would know it as somewhere with the, as you say, the Raincoat Brigade. It had this sort of slightly different look and feel and association. But could you just sense that there was a real intrigue from them about the world of buying things to enhance your sex life or talking about your sex totally, life. Totally, because if you think back, I mean, we've been on a crusade for the last, you know, 30, 30 odd years because women could not buy sexy underwear in the high street like they can today. There was no such thing as a lacy bra. Wow. You know, let alone being able to buy something that you want to use in the bedroom. It yeah. was men that made all those decisions. Yeah. So, you know, it... it it completely changed and I and for a period you know the men of that generation you mm. know quite uncomfortable about women being empowered but of course that that's sort of a culture that's not not the case today Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile with the price of just about everything going up during inflation we thought we'd bring our prices down so to help us we brought in a reverse auctioneer which is apparently a thing Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... 
All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at PlushCare.com slash weight loss. That's PlushCare.com slash weight loss. PlushCare.com slash weight loss. Bye. You know, when you were talking about the effect of Anne Summers and your decisions and, you know, the, the exciting boldness of your initiative, aged only 21, it really reminds me of the effect that Madonna has had on the music industry mm. because what you basically did by... It, it, everything sort of trickles down from that point because now, as you say, buying a lacy bra is something that's very commonplace. Buying sex toys, there's lots of other shops that you know, cater for women's sexual selves. In fact, I'd say off the top of my head, in terms of the high street, I feel like everything is kind of geared towards the female consumer. I can't really think of a high street place that's more for... Well, do you know the irony about this? And it's it's so true. 70% of uh, purchasing decisions are made by women. Hmm. And yet most companies, most brands are headed by men. Yeah, I've never got that. Never. No, but then it's this in the music industry. When I was 18 and I signed my first record deal, I went for a meeting with uh, at Mercury Records and I was all excited and um, I had such an idea of what a music, you know, a record company would look like and how, like, on, finger on the pulse. And when I got there, I was so disappointed. Mm. It was a load of people sat, you know, sat looking at, com- at their computers and using Photoshop, not even, like, doing exciting, you know, design things or music things. Um, you know, do, using Photoshop to sort of do, like, promo copies of CDs. And I was thinking... That's the first thing a fan will own. Why don't you put loads of work into that? Because that's the thing we'll be really excited about and turning it over and looking at all the details and trying to work things out about this new music. And then the, the boss guy, who's a really nice guy, but he was in his 60s and we were having a chat about music. And he was correcting me all the time and telling me what people my age were interested in. I thought, I'm sat here right in front of you. I'm an 18-year-old girl who's passionate about music. Why don't you ask me? Mm. I'm, I'm not saying I'm going to be right about everything, but... Have you found things have changed? Um... I think what it is is more that you find your people and then there were some really good people I met around then too and then they they have just continued on a really successful trajectory. So I wouldn't say, I don't think that's been eliminated at all, no. And I think if you have art and commerce working together, there's always going to be slightly uncomfortable bedfellows because you're going to get people who, you know, think they're in a snazzy job because it's music, but ultimately what they're doing is working with stock. You know, mm. you're, you're making stock and shifting it. So... I think you're gonna. It's going to be tricky to eliminate that completely, or, or even if it's necessary to do that. But I think it's more that I feel that there's weight. There's quite a lot of exciting thinkers that have that are peppered in amongst. And when you find those people, you're kind of like, that's the people I want to mm. work with. I feel like there's more options of how to do things, and that's really exciting. And I think it's probably more democratic as well because now everybody can start mm. their music. I'm really from glad home. you brought up your music because I have to say to you, I don't know if you've ever done it, but I did um, Desert Island Discs oh. with Lauren Laverne and your. Your record groove jet was one of my. It records. was not. Yeah, it was absolutely. Do you know what's funny about that is I, I knew you'd done it, and um, 
when I knew you were coming over today, I thought I started looking up loads of interviews and stuff. And I, I said to Claire earlier, I had to stop because I thought I don't really want to know everything. I'd like to discover things. And I thought if you know. I don't want to be correcting you about stories. <laughs> I think actually, if you'll find you said it was this, but, um, but um, wow, I'm really yeah. flattered. Thank you. Yeah. Is it a nice thing to do Desert Island? Oh, it was. Do you know it was lovely? It was so nostalgic. I mean, I was. I had a little cry at one point. Yeah, well, music's so powerful. It for that. is so powerful. Mm. And it was really, and they were a really nice team. It was all women. Yeah, and, and um, Lauren's so lovely. Oh, she is lovely. Uh, it, it was a really nice experience, very different to what I normally do. So, yeah, I really enjoyed it. And it's so iconic, isn't it? So iconic. You know, it's such a privilege, it felt such a privilege to be asked. Yeah, it's one of those things you're like, I've done, I've done Desert Island this. <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, that's, I mean, people talk about it just as a conversation thing, don't they? What would be your, your songs for this and songs for that? But I think nostalgia actually is an emotion I feel like I've only just started to understand because especially if you're someone like me who's had some the songs I'm probably best known for happened you know 20 years ago actually so Groovejet came out 20 <laughs> years ago and you know you when I was younger the idea of doing any sort of um you know singing those songs and people feeling nostalgic would be sort of seen as like a dirty thing like oh why would you it's like saying you're not relevant but actually I went the other day to a gig of a band called Supergrass who I used to love when I was a teenager and I was really excited about seeing them anyway. But going to the gig and hearing all those songs took me back so massively. But also it was so joyful. It was so nice. And I thought, God, nostalgia should actually be celebrated more. It's a really powerful thing. It sort of reconnected me to how I felt back mm. then. And I think music's very good with that. It's, it's a little portal that, that works better than so many other mediums. Because well, the moment you hear a record, you usually relate it to something exactly. that's happened in your life and it will generate some sort of emotion. Definitely. And also, if you go through anything tough, I found suddenly all those songs about heartache and, you know, and happiness, suddenly it's like, I get this now. These songs are speaking to me. I've, I, everything was, like, unlocked. And you're so glad those songs are there to, to reassure you that you're not the first and not the last, but, you know, other people have experienced it. Um, yeah. Oh, I'd, I, well, I'll have to listen to Desert this now, <laughs> won't I? Yeah. What was the context of Groovejet? Um, it was when I started dating my, my husband. Oh, yeah, so, so you've been um, together that long? So yeah, we've been together about, yeah, about 20, years. 20 years. Cool. Oh, that's lovely. Um, well, that's, that's, that's thrown me a bit. I'm trying to think about <laughs> now what I'm speaking to you about. So when you were 21, is that when you, st did you st then start taking over the business in your 20s? Yes. Yeah. Okay. So, uh, it was all about the party plan um, and then I, I became chief executive when I was about 25. Um, and then at some That point, must be highly unusual. Is that a... a very. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, very. I mean, uh, I'm not a business mind, but that sounds it, incredibly was, young. To... And, you know, it was also difficult because it was, there were so few women right. in business. Um, and, you know, wherever I went, it was men. And, you know, it, it, was, it was just, you know, difficult. It, mm -hmm. it was not just because I was a young woman, but also the industry I was in and trying to make the changes and it was doing extremely well. But, you know, I had people saying to me, oh, this is a fad, give it, you know, give it two years, it won't last. And there was a lot of negativity around it. Do you think they felt threatened by not only your gender, but your youth as well? And all, I, both of those things, but also because of what I was trying to do. Right. I was trying to empower women and I think that was, that was different to what they'd, you know... It, it sort of perhaps challenged their 
And I'm not, you know, I'm definitely not against men, but certainly there were some men that felt it challenged their masculinity. I think actually women can be just as threatened as well by successful women sometimes too, because some of us are raised incredibly traditionally, but some people think traditionally, no matter how modern a life they're, mm. they're trying to live. And I think um, I think sometimes, you know, we're all, we can all be guilty of sort of falling into quite lazy ways of thinking about what's expected. Um, and sometimes we do it to ourselves, I think, and that's part of what intrigues me about talking to people about working alongside raising a family is that I think it is it is different to being a working father with the questions you get asked, the way you're thinking and the amount of logistics you, is like suddenly... I, I actually, funnily enough, with my kids, I often think of them like, like companies sometimes. It's like I've got you know, five different box files in my head of how each thing is doing and where the priorities are and which areas, you know, we're experiencing growth. I could imagine that. Which things are going into the negative. Yeah. Um, but it's, just, it's like, oh, it's like all the, all the sort of project managing I just never, never thought I'd be doing. But, but for you, when you became a mum, did, did you find your, your business life and the, the family life, did they work together pretty smoothly? I mean, my my business and personal life tends to blend into one. I mm-hmm. think, you know, that's always worked quite well for me. So, um, and I think it's a way of me maximising my time with my daughter. And it's always been difficult, you know, mm. more so at the beginning, because I think you need to get into that flow and you just think you've got it right and then it's all out the window and you miss a, a you know, you late for a school play or something like that. Yeah. It, it is awful for women. I think it is very challenging because we want to... You know, we want to have our own identity and we want to be successful in our own right or do our projects that we want to do. Um, But we want to be a really good mum at the same time. Mm. And um, but I have learned as I've as I've got older and and time's gone on that actually, you know, it's important for us to do those things. Mm. And whilst, of course, you know, like most women, I've had my guilty moments I also do recognise how important it is for Scarlett to look up to her mum and, and be inspired what, by what I'm doing. Yeah. And for, she told me the other day, actually, for International Women's Day, uh, the teacher asked her who inspired her. They asked all the children. And she said, you know, my mummy. And it was such a lovely feeling Aww. to know that. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I want her to grow up believing she can be whatever she wants to be. But to do that, yeah. you know, we mustn't... I find so many women... I mean, I run this competition on a Wednesday called WOW where women um, tweet about their business and I sort of uh, profile the top three and and then I sort of do learning days and... and so it's like female entrepreneurs? Yes, mm-hmm. and I do mentoring lunches uh, for them. Um, I've forgotten where I was going with this now. Um, I've gone right off, right off on a tangent. Um Oh, well, don't worry. I've got. What was I talking about before then? <laughs> I think you were talking about women and how we we oh, yes. challenge ourselves. And I, and I just think, what is so? We talk about this. I talk about it to them when we have these lunches. What's so important is that more women do raise their head above the parapet, and that we should boldly celebrate our success mm. and what we've done. And we're so keen to play down our achievements. Yeah. But I think it's good for our children to see that, particularly yeah. our daughters, because I mean, I I don't. You know, I, I think so many parents bring their, their sort of boys up to be brave and their girls to be perfect. Oh, definitely. And there is no such thing as perfect. And, you know, I see it in the boardrooms. You know, I see women that sort of get up and expect, you know, are expected to pour the tea. I've been to off-site meetings with lawyers where 
they're equal and yet the woman pours a tea and I'm like, well, don't do that, you know. know. Um, but it's that thing of sometimes being your own worst enemy with it, I think. I mean, funny, Claire and I were just literally chatting about this morning about how many times I've I've made things really muddy and I've actually confused people with the signals I'm giving out because in my head I want to be quite... Um, capable, assertive and clear and unapologetic. I swear, the main thing I'm striving for, I think, the older I get, I really want to get there. Just the, the desire to apologise for everything all the time. I just want to eliminate that from my life. I feel like that's a really... Um, it really sets you back if you start off a lot of your sentences with sorry, but, or, you know, apologising for things Why going do we wrong. do that? I don't Why know. Why do we do that? I actually don't know. And then, you know, as woman to woman, I look at you and I, I'm in awe of what you do. Five children and working as, at the same time, I think, is phenomenal. You know, I, I'm, I struggle from time to time having just the one. Well, I think it's the same... I do think it's the same issues. I think it's just, you know, everybody's got different ways it manifested, but actually, I think the issues of having one is actually very similar to having lots. It's just mm. probably I shortchanged them a little bit more <laughs> in terms of the time they get, um, and they're a lot more used to asking me to do something and then me going oh ah, I'm really sorry that slipped through the through the net um you know you, I think I kind of have to go for the the basic um the basic thing as being good enough most of the time anyway because I can't the, going above and beyond is like something that I don't always have time for really and hopefully they'll forgive me one day <laughs> and, and you know I I don't believe that's the case I, I remember saying talking to somebody one day and saying to them but I really want to do this, whatever it was, because, you know, I want to be an awesome mummy. And my daughter overheard it and said, but mummy, you are an awesome mummy. Oh. And I think we just beat ourselves up, don't yes. we? I think we're too hard on ourselves. Definitely, yes, I think so too. And um, don't you think when you're a working mum, you actually try that, you know, you often try harder because you're trying to compensate. So I'm yeah. sure it all evens itself out in the end. Yeah, I, I did actually hear a really inspiring story about you once. Um, there's a lady called Lisa that came to do your hair once, and she's a really good friend of mine, mm. called Lisa Lauder. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I was talking to her on the phone. She's one of my kids' godmothers, and I've, I, I adore her. And she, she was hearing me. I was going, oh, you know, this has gone wrong this week, and uh, the house, you know, I'm finding it really tricky, and... You know, I can't remember what happened. But so I was finding that everything was getting a bit chaotic. And she said to me, well, actually, I, I just did this lady's hair in uh, Jacqueline Gold. And she, um, she said to me that in her house, she writes everything down and, and tells everybody things. And she said, because it's written down, everybody just knows what they're doing. And I was like, that's inspired. I'm definitely going to do that. <laughs> so she's, I mean, I, I know Lisa very well. Yeah. And she's just, um, she's, she's obviously noticed that I am a bit of a list maker. Oh, but that's brilliant. And do you, do you sit down and have regular meetings with everybody in I've got to be honest, life? I am super organised. Yeah. And I think if you, if you have got your life jam-packed with so many things, I, for me, it works. It's the only mm. way I can, I can do it is if I can be that organised. Um, and, uh, yeah, I guess, you know, peop, you know um, I'm a team player anyway. Mm -hmm. So, um, you know, and I'm very, very lucky to the people I do work are just great. And we're all like-minded. And you, I think that's the important thing. I think if you... The people around you, you know, you need to be share the same values and, mm -hmm. and work in the same way. And I think that, that helps and works. So it does work for me. So if do you find that the way that you handle your working day and the way that you handle stuff in the home is actually quite similar in terms of approach? It is, really. It's not like two different hats. It is. My husband's constantly reminding me. Right. Don't you bring your work home, don't you? Right. <laughs> but he's just... 
to be honest, he's just got used to me being super organised. Yeah. And do you, if, if you need to get things done, are you, are you the sort of mum you thought you'd be? Like, if, with pre, pre-baby, you look at the kind of mother you are and think, yeah, that's, that's pretty much what I thought would be the case. I don't know. I think life is so different when you have a child, that mm. first child. And I, I just... I'm definitely more emotional, more connected. Yeah. Um, and I think you, you... I don't think you ever know what you're going to be like. No, I think you're right, actually. Although, I, well, I say that, I think I thought I was going to be a bit stricter, actually. Yeah. I'm a lot more relaxed about things. Are you? Yeah, oh. which I think, is, it's, I think it does suit me best. I think maybe because there's... And do you find your husband so is therefore more strict? Mm, he's quite relaxed. I don't, I don't mean that we're not... There's definitely boundaries. I think that's pretty essential. Um, and kids really actually crave that. I think if I... If they didn't have that, and there's so there's lots of continuity, there's lots of safe predictability in their world, and I really care about that. But I think it's more just when things go a bit wonky, or how I handle it if I feel like their behaviour isn't what I want, or they're not mm. doing the things I feel they should do. I think I'm, I think I'm better at sort of trying to find a different way, because being strict actually doesn't work for every kid anyway. I don't think some children really respond if you get quite head teachery, but for other kids, then well, definitely like my. My first one, I think, responded better to that. If I stopped getting a bit stern, that would really upset him. He hated to see me cross or sad, so he would immediately shift his behaviour. The next one came along, and he would just argue back. So I had to kind of try a different tactic, really. So I think I think they've kind of taught me different skills that I needed, really, that I yeah, wouldn't have known I'm, how to do before. I must admit, I'm, I wouldn't describe myself as strict, but I do carry through. Mm. So if I say I'm going to do something, as much as, you know, it might break my heart to do, I will carry it through because, I, you know, I just don't see the point in empty threats. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm, I always try and coach her at the same time and explain things to her, and I think I've always done that. Yeah. Um, I mean, I had a, a situation where she searched something on her iPad. This is like about a year ago now mm. um, that she shouldn't have done. Yeah. And it, it was following... They'd had their first sex education at school. And and then, of course, what do they do? The first thing they do is they go on their iPad and they search sex. So I was mortified, told her not to do it again, and then, of course, she did it again. Yeah. So I took the iPad away. I've literally, that was a year ago, I've only just given it back. That's quite a... um... I don't, is it ironic that that was what it was It was a bit. Well, you know, you you say that, but, I mean... um, Children are curious. Oh, that yeah. That is part of life, isn't it? They are going to do that. And I think maybe you could say I was a bit naive to think, as a parent, not anything to do with what I do, but as a parent, it's a bit naive to think they're not going to do no, that. No, I've had, I've had exactly the same situation uh, with one of mine with an iPad. Um, he'd had a friend over, and uh, I, I didn't... They'd been playing, and then when I, I, I reached for... The, the sort of family iPad and I thought I just need to look something up and what had been looked up just before me was hot, hot oh. girl boobs oh no it's um, history <laughs> <laughs> and hot girl boobs starts out quite innocent but it gets quite adult really really terrifyingly quickly which is my naivety I had no yeah. idea um, I mean we've we've got family filters and all that kind of thing but I think you've still and actually that was really tricky because having a conversation with kids and I'm all about every conversation, every subject. They can talk to me about anything. I'm, I think there's a way to make it age-appropriate for whatever you're talking about. But because of what he'd searched for, I felt like I had to touch on lots of issues, which I was finding quite challenging. Like, like saying, well, just because you could see some boobs doesn't mean you can, you're allowed to see any boobs. <laughs> and um, 
yeah, it was it was really tricky with yeah, the, it when they're still primary school. I mean, I, so she's ten now. So this she must have been about eight at the time, or nine. I was uh, nine. She was. I was mortified. Yeah. So I got some. I, I, I rang the school for advice. I got some age appropriate books because I suddenly thought. You know, she's ahead of the curve. I need to explain. Or maybe not ahead. I think they are starting to hear those words in the playground Mm. around them. And what I've heard is quite a good thing to do is to ask them if they've seen anything that worries them and ask them because we might be able to know immediately what it is they've seen, but they might actually not really know much of what they've seen. And and also as a sort of reassuring thing, I think pretty much everybody can probably remember the first time they saw a glimpse into that adult world. Um, and it probably is for everybody around that age, around mm. sort of seven, eight, nine. It could be mucking about a friend's house or something you heard in the playground and thinking, I need to know more, or a book that's a bit high up on a shelf and it's got a section in it where you think, oh, not sure about that. You know, it can even be a sort of medical health book and you think, not sure these pages mm. are intended for me. I think there's everybody's got a memory of that. And um, I think, you know... Th- so much so long as communication lines are open, that's probably the best thing you can hope for. Because I think the worst thing that kids can walk away from is either feeling sort of hugely concerned or frightened or you know um, confused by it, or feeling sort of a shame. Because that shame, as I'm sure you would know lots from all the research into your you know p- potential customers, that shame around around sex and those things can last a lifetime. Actually, if from when you're really quite young, if nobody's there to say, well, th- that's all there. But I think there. we're so much more open in our conversation, or you'd like to think we yeah. are today. I know yeah. I, I certainly am. And like you say, it's about that age-appropriate conversation. Mm. Um, and letting them know that you're, whatever you, action you've taken is to protect them and that, you know, they're not quite ready, you know, from an age point of view. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I remember saying to Scarlett at the time, you know, this is there are things on the internet that aren't, real or they don't represent exactly normal life you know yeah i mean so with scarlet because you said she's come to work with you sometimes so does does she not to, to her are you is your line of work just sort of business rather than knowing too much about the context of it she she to her she just knows that we do lingerie because she sees it on my mm. my screensaver um so no she doesn't she yeah. doesn't know about the sex toys it's not she's you know it's not i'm sure in the future she obviously will but yeah she's 10 nearly 11 it's she'll probably be incredibly blasé and brilliantly sort of yeah unfazed by everything oh, which will be what a gift is that for a, a young girl to mm. just be able to walk through that adolescence and teenage years but they find out most things at school don't they yeah it's true actually so they always seem to know more than you think they know i think that's true but also they're not they don't need to learn everything from us actually and i think I'm always reassured when I remember that I am, I am the mother, which is a really important role, but I am also just the mother. There's all these other people and the, mm. you know, all these other thing, areas of they, they can get information and have conversations. And I, I think um, that really takes the pressure off me a little bit, really, when I remember I'm not, I don't have to deliver a, a complete package of the growing up, you know, and I'd have to deliver them at 18, like, OK, I've given you all the knowledge, you know, it's OK for it to come from different places. Mm. And... You know, they learn on their own about all that of it. Part of growing up, isn't it? It is, it is. And you've got to have the bits where it's gone a bit wonky. And they've also got to do the bit when they push us away, which is, you know, it's all part of it. Mm. Um, but then they, they do come back, I'm sure. <laughs> I don't know. Well, we definitely have with my mum. We're I'm dreading that moment. No, but it doesn't really work like that anyway. It's fine because then, I mean, I live 10 minutes away from my mum and we've just, I went away with her a couple of weeks ago and mm. it's like, I think 
I think you the, have the good a fifteen-year-old, don't you? Yeah, I do. Is yeah. that a girl or a boy? A boy. I've got all boys just to make oh, it nice you? and easy for you to remember. Oh wow! Yeah, that's why I could say about the he looking up the hot girl boobs, and no mm. one's identity is revealed. Okay. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's uh, yeah, it's, it's got lots of tiny men in the house. Well, not so tiny. Actually, my eldest is just over six foot. Oh gosh. Yeah, that's quite weird. If I, if I get my baby, who's one, and I hold him up above me, like one day you're going to be here. Yeah, one day I'm going to be like their little mum. How weird is that? Oh uh, yeah, that's a, it's a little way off, but probably will come around quicker than I think. Yeah, but yeah, it's, it's all these boys, and I'm so determined to raise um, boys that you know can recognise and encourage strong women in their lives. Mm. And I think, I think, I think they've actually got a lot I of mean, examples of strong women. Yeah, they've got a lot of that. And I guess you're pl- you, you're watching football matches. And... You know what? We're not. That's the thing. I haven't. None of them play football. Then none of them are that interested in football. I might be one of the little ones, might when they're older, but at the moment, no. It's quite techy. They're quite a lot into mm. the tech stuff, um, and there's definitely quite a lot of play fighting and that kind of thing. But I don't know. I mean, I remember my brother and sister doing that. I suppose I'm normally a little bit. I wouldn't go so far as to say defensive, but I try and encourage people to understand that it might not be exactly what you think I go home to because. Most people pull quite a face when I say I have five boys and they're like, I've literally had a guy, <laughs> I remember when I'd had my, it might have been my fourth, and I took him, I think he had like a, his six-week check at the hospital or something, so it was like the first time I'd gone out, just me and the baby, like, okay, let's go out into the big wide world and we'll get you there and back, and this um, old guy sat next to us on the tube on the way there, and he said, oh, his little boys, is your first? And when I said fourth, he went, oh, dear God, oh, God be with you. God be with you. He was so sort of, he felt so profoundly sorry for me. <laughs> um, but it was so like OTT, I actually found it really funny. Um, but is your daughter quite similar to you, do you think? Is she quite, is she quite motivated with her work and getting things done and the lists and things? Um, I mean, she's doing well at school, but that's only really come in the last couple of years. Um, we're both creative. Ah, so that's a lovely thing to love share. love doing painting and stuff together. Mm-hmm. So that's sort of a bonus. Um, she's very willful, mm-hmm. um, and I love that about her. Yeah. Uh, she's, you know, she's also... What I love is that being, even though she's an only, only child, she's very confident and funny and mm-hmm. loves, you know, engages with adults quite well, which I guess is because she's an only child. Um, so she definitely has got her own, you know, some of her own sort of characteristics. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I do. I do see some of some of me in her as well. It must be quite hard to um, to tell off kids when they're if they're showing that sort of willfulness because mm-hmm. for you, like so many, I know that that man in the boardroom who threw his pen down and said this will never work about the and summer's parties. There's sometimes when you've got a feeling in your the pit of your tummy that what you're doing is the right thing, meeting up, coming head to head with it, and seeing that happen. There must have been a part of you that, that thought that kind of gives you that extra fire. Um, so when you recognise that trait in your daughter, it's like <laughs> kind of like kind of rooting for her a bit, like yeah, yeah, go on. It's good to be assertive. Um, yeah, I know I find that with mine, and actually I think that can I can sometimes be a bit too sympathetic. Like oh, I know I recognise that from me. I think it's quite a powerful tool, isn't it? When you're when you're parenting, um, when when you as you've been such a successful businesswoman for you know. For, for such a long time, your career was so, you know, established by the time you had your baby. Did, did you find it tricky to to shift and have give time to yourself and let the business sort of do its thing in a slightly more different pace, or did that did it not really feel like that? It was quite a difficult time for me, actually. It's sort of bittersweet, because Scarlett was a twin, 
and um, she she had a baby brother as well who was very poorly when he was born. So um, that he he passed away eight months later. So we went through a very a very difficult time. So you know it was it was difficult getting a, a, a balance because you know we take Scarlett to um, to see Alfie and. Um, you know, we've actually got some nice f- video footage of the two of them together. Mm-hmm. So, you know, en- everything to do with work just obviously was totally up in the air and, and, and sort of went on hold. Um, and then when he sadly passed away, it was then a case of... And I'm, I'm sure there will be parents out there that have been in this situation, um, um, sadly, where you, you, you sort of... You've got your own grief to deal with, mm. but at the same time, you want to be strong for your other child. Yeah, you know, and that 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 sort of uh, is challenging, but sort of helpful at the same time because it makes you, um, you know, have to deal with that. And you know, we've always sort of kept Alfie in the, the conversation. We we've always done things to keep his memory alive, yeah. which has which has been nice because in a way that means he's still here. Yeah. Um, and particularly for Scarlett being a twin, you know, there's that extra connection which, you know, I've, I've sort of had to had to manage that. But um, yeah, that that sort of made it that made it difficult. But you know, you have to, in some ways, you have to get on with life for the other, for the sake of the other child. Well, yeah, I'm sure, and I'm sure saying it's difficult is, you know, sometimes language doesn't really do enough to to help us because I can't imagine how awful that must have been to go through. And I, I, when I've tried to think what it must be like to lose a child, I think I would want everybody to speak their name. I'd want to sing from the rooftop, like so everybody knows that they existed, they were here. Mm. So I can very much understand why Alfie has got to be part of everything forever. He, he was here, he's a real mm. person. He's Scarlett's little brother. He's, you know, your other baby. Um, I, I think... There's so much awkwardness when you experience something that is everybody's biggest fear. I mean, who knows how to deal with experiencing the death of a child? It's just, it's the thing that most people, if they even start the thought, they go, oh, that's just too terrible, I can't think about it. Mm. Um, And I think, I mean, my mum went through something traumatic and she described it as like becoming a member of a club that you never wanted to be a member of. Mm. And you'd probably find other people that have been through similar things. But it's it's very much the story of your family and what happened. And also, you you know, you go through life never thinking those type of things will happen to you. And then when you suddenly find yourself in that situation, it's like, well, it's, words don't describe how that feels. Mm. Um, and how you cope with that. It's, you know, you'd never think you could possibly cope with that. And, of course, you do, you know, suddenly finding yourself... Uh, having conversation, you know, really difficult conversations and talking with medical people and, um, you know, uh, the midwife and all of those challenges. Mm. Um, and even giving birth, which is supposed to be a really joyous time. Um, and, and ha- you know, that's what I... And even now, you know, um, just every, t- every year when it's Scarlett's birthday, you know, we're having a birthday party one minute and going to... Um, the cemetery the next you know that that is quite quite you know those mixed emotions all in the same day is very difficult that is I mean are there things that you would say 
would be good for people to 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 know how to handle situations like that if they find it happens to a friend of them or something. Are there things that people did or said that were really helpful, or is it just people feeling it's okay to bring it up and talk about it is helpful? Um, I think first of all, you know how you deal with it with any other children. You know, sometimes even now Scarlett will go to bed, and if she, Scarlett has a tendency, if she's tired, she can be a bit emotional, mm-hmm. and she'll say to me, "Mummy, I I can't stop thinking about Alfie," and and I'll say to her, "Let's do a little prayer, and we'll sit down at the end of the bed, and we'll do a prayer together," and that always helps her, mm. and it makes her feel better. It makes me feel better. She feels like she's communicating yeah. to him. So that's something we've always done. Also, we did. Um, uh, we made a, a big chest. I had a, a. I got this sort of like treasure chest. He always had this pirate theme in his bedroom, so we we got this treasure chest painted in a pirate's theme, and we filled it with all his special things. And every now and again, we'll go through those those sort of um, memories together, which I think is nice. Mm. Um, and in within our own family, we talk about it often, yeah. but not so much outside the family. Um, but equally, you know, if it comes up in conversation like now, it was part of our life. So, yeah. you know, I think you set the tone. I was going to say, I think, I mean, certainly... Um, when I was talking to you today, I thought, well, I'll take my lead from you because I would never want to bring up something really painful exactly. if you didn't feel comfortable. And I think people will take your lead. Mm. You know, if you don't bring it up, then maybe you don't want to talk about it. But like you said, you know, Alfie was so important to us. Yeah. Um, I can't talk about Scarlett without talking about Alfie. You yeah. Know? And, um, you know, you want to celebrate his short life as well. That's that's equally important to me. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's... it's it, yeah, it's... It's really... Um, really special I think that Scarlett will be able to feel she has that way of communicating with him in a way that acknowledges and accepts how she feels because grief and those those emotions are not a, they're not a chronological straight road you know you can have from, from what I understand you can have a day where it feels like a long time ago and another day where it feels like it was just mm-hmm. yesterday and, and maybe when you were doing the desert island disc and oh. thinking about the music that must bring things back oh, totally. so viscerally at, at his funeral we had a record wishing on the star which the Rose Royce record. Oh, yeah. Which I loved, always loved. But obviously it now has a different meaning. Mm. And, you know, couldn't help getting tearful. But, you know, I think that is the way it is, mm-hmm. you know. And we shouldn't, you know, you don't know how you're going to react in those situations. And if, no. you, if you get upset, you get upset. That is nothing to be ashamed of or yeah. uncomfortable about. Um, but it's, you know, it's all part of our life story, isn't it? It's about part of what we've been through yeah exactly it's all that's the life you had I think um that's the thing I when I had my first baby born born early so Sonny was born a couple of months early and he was in hospital and some people I mean it's by no means comparable but it's it's obviously not the uh traditional and accepted ending to a, a pregnancy and um you know people weren't really sure how to talk to me about it whether they should congratulate me or not and obviously you've had a baby that turns into a patient immediately which you know it's it, is, is what we've both been through with that but um I think that I the thing I always felt like was a sort of slightly pragmatic part of me was like well this is just I was never going to be um still pregnant with him he was either going to be or rather I was never going to be at home with me he was either going to be in hospital or or I'd still be pregnant so I think you just get on with the reality of of what you know and as you say that is just what happened to us that's our story and um 
that's that's how life shapes you there's so many things that happen and you know you're hoping for is the good stuff I think the thing that can be you have to be careful of I suppose is if you have what's to your mind a sort of a charmed life or a successful life that you don't feel that there's anything that the scales have to be cast in one way like life doesn't work like that fate's not fate is not sitting there somewhere thinking you've had too much of a good thing there we've got to do that mm. it's just that that's just what happens to think to people and talking about it and being open often reveals so much that other people have gone through too i love the human connections that can happen out of the out of the more traumatic things but i think it's still something culturally we're not maybe that brilliant about a lot mm. of the time i think it's well it, i suppose it's just it's it's awkward, isn't it? You don't want to. No one wants to make someone feel really sad if they feel like they're getting through the day and it's working for them. And also, as the person that's been in that situation, you don't want to make other people feel awkward. Mm. So, um, but you know, I think that I think as a society we do handle these things better than you know, say ten years ago. Yeah, I, don't know if I would agree. Social, you know, maybe one of the positive things that's come out of social media is that people are more open, aren't they? I think so. I think so, definitely. And the more you, everybody continues to talk about the things that are affecting them, you know, mental health issues, all these things, the less taboo they become, the more commonplace. And, and you know what? The great thing about podcasts and, and like what you're doing is, you know, it, it doesn't make people... F- people don't feel alone. Yes. You know, it's, it's helpful to other people yeah. that they know that... They're, if it's happened to them, they're not the only ones. Massively. And actually, talking of, of that, when when I was initially thinking about having these conversations about working mums, one thing I thought is I, res- I really don't want it to feel that for every every woman out there, either work or family life is the thing that is like the icing on top of everything and that, you know, you can be doing your work but hey if you're if you become a mother it's going to access all this creativity and this drive you didn't know you had and it's really zhuzhi and amazing it was more to reassure people that if you find yourself trying to work out if you can retain your sense of self and still continue to lead a you know a life that satisfies you it's actually possible it's you know you're not you're not going to suddenly find yourself homogenized and lose your identity just because you've become someone's parent and it also made me think a little bit about all the many women out there that must be already thinking that they want to start a family and for whatever reason it's taking longer than they want. I know I, I grew up in, with my stepmom doing many rounds of IVF and I was thinking, I wonder if, I know that's something you experience and I wondered if there's a sort of almost like a third lane of of traffic really when it comes to the sort of whole idea of being a working mother, which is that you, you've also got the, you know, you, you're not, if you're decided already that you want to have a baby and you're going about a really intense process of trying to become a mum, I wonder if, everything's already begun to change for you and and you're actually you found yourself a a mother without a baby if that makes sense I, I don't really know I don't know if that's how it how it feels um well I've been married twice so I got married very young in my 20s you know my husband was a catholic boy and he um in fact I was 20 when I got married to him which by today's standards, is far too young, That's very and young, certainly yeah. was for me. I mean, we were t- we were married for eight years together for ten, because um, you change so much. Yeah, and we didn't have any children, um, thank goodness. And I was always one of those people that I wanted. Of course, I want. You know, I did want to have children, but with the right person. Um, and then, of course, when by the time I met Dan, I was that much older. So. Um, we uh, 
and you know we just decided that we would go the IVF route because you could spend ages waiting and then find it's even you know later um and it was gosh it was a really difficult time I mean we went we were successful in our fourth our fourth try um but it it's it really challenges you as a couple yeah really challenges you as a couple and we actually broke up for a period of time yeah, it must be. I'm not surprised. The strain it puts a relationship uh, it's all, under. It's an awful strain, and we we did it in this. We tried it in this country three times, and mm-hmm. then we went to America, um, and and did it. And actually, the, the 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 attitude was so different. Oh, really? That was something we really noticed. It was very process driven here, and very sort of, uh, um, you know. It, Quite, dif- quite difficult in having to do, um, you have to do counselling and, and all of, but when we did it in America, it was just such a positive, they have such a different way of doing things sometimes, which suited suited our personalities, I suppose, mm-hmm. in the sense that, or certainly suited mine, because it was more when than if. Hmm. Um, well, in America, that's how they were. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And uh, it sort of suits the idea of having American. Like they'd just be like, "Okay, we're going to make this happen." Well, they just they do have that positive. Yeah. They have that positivity. Um, and funny enough, just changing the subject, I remember that being the case when I started business. You know, I remember going to a conference in America, and they were so everybody was celebrating each other's success, whereas I think at that time, you know, we were we people that are successful sometimes find it difficult to talk about it because mm. you know um but they have just a, a, to- a totally different way of doing things and of course our our culture has changed you know we see things like dragon's den and you know other um the apprentice it's a, yeah you know there's a bit more of a difficult culture here but i would still like to see m- more celebration of women in business and women realizing that they don't have to be um aggressive to be successful yeah well I think that's a massively significant point actually that we're not trying to emulate anyone else that's gone before it's all about bringing our own strengths to the table totally and you know I know we're talking I'm I'm going off on all tangents here but you know one of the things I talk about women being successful you know even in my own business is you do not need to be loud to be successful but you you know but you do need to contribute if you're if you're in a career maybe you know, I'm as a as a CEO like to see women put themselves forward and mm. and speak up and talk about their ideas. Um, sorry, that's my pill reminder. <laughs> <laughs> if you tap it, it will stop. Yes. <laughs> that's right. We already had like a conversation about grout, or we're having a yeah. really <laughs> proper conversation about IVF. Um, yeah, sorry. I, I think uh, it's funny. We've been talking in, in lots of people's homes for the, these podcasts and everybody's home is so much more significantly quiet than my own. It's really <laughs> annoying. They're all tidier than my house and they're also more quiet. It's really <laughs> annoying. Um, sorry about that. I'm so sorry about all that. Um, well, so we're talking about the importance of women not being aggressive. I know that. Um, do you need to take a pill? No. No, no, no. <laughs> I don't want to make anything do you know what? bad. I actually it. think it's great having all these sounds in the background. I almost wonder why do we, 
why do we cut them out? Because this is real life. Isn't to be honest, it? we probably won't cut my. I actually feel very. I, the only thing I don't want is for people to get get like thinking that I'm just sort of like I don't know that they're trying to like focus on you in amongst like all this other. <laughs> so long as it's enough that we can hear us mainly, then I'm fine with it too. Because I'm very able to have a conversation when lots of other stuff is going on. Because mm. you learn that skill, don't you? Not just from having kids, but from being a musician. There's like there's often ten different <laughs> things happening. Obviously, like you have to be able to be directed with your attention and um. I know I did want to ask you, was your mum a working mum? I know we've heard about your dad, but was your mum a working mum? Yeah, no, she wasn't. Um, I mean, she was a very, it was a very traditional Mm. upbringing. Dad went to work, you know, mum stayed at home. Um, And it was funny because I think even when I went into business, it was sort of a bit alien to my mum. And she's passed away. She passed away about 16 years ago. So I wonder what she would be, what she would be thinking of me now. Well, she um, saw, I suppose, all the beginning bit. What was she thinking when you... Yeah, I think she was really proud. Yeah. But obviously, you know, things have evolved and gone on, and I think she would be really proud, but probably also nervous for me at the same time, because I think, you know, parents at one time, it was only boys that grew up and went into business. Mm. It's not something that girls did. That's frighteningly recent, actually, I think. Yeah. yeah I mean, I think so. doesn't go back very much. Even I thought my grandma was a working mum, but she wasn't really. She stopped... When she had my my mum, and that was it. They just stayed stayed at home, and obviously, absolutely nothing wrong with that. But this is, it's all about just having choice. Choice is the big empowering thing. And I think there was a period, though, and I we're probably talking, you know, thirty, forty years ago. There was a period where you know it was sort of frowned upon girls having careers and mm. um, you know having children and not maybe you know still carrying on with their career. Yeah, you know, there was that added guilt. Um, yeah, that. You know, there was a view that mums should stay at home yes. and, and look after their children. Definitely. Well, I think still now you can be punished for it. And also there's this weird flip thing where if you are someone that is um, seemingly, from the outside world, very successful at what you're doing, um, then probably you might call yourself a parent, but you've probably got a fleet of nannies and you're probably not really doing much. That any- We've got this, all these weird judgments mm. that are made, not by me, I really don't think like that, but... You, you know, you hear it and you see it, and I think it's so bizarre. Why are we, why are we not just sort of doing lots of thumbs up? I think people have to remember so much that other people's destiny has got so little to do with what goes on in their life. Mm. So why do you care if someone else's? Plus, I think everybody's life setup is very different. Yeah, I mean, massively. You know, I, you know, I'm very fortunate. My husband works from home, um, but my mother-in-law lives too far away, and obviously, my mum's passed away. Um, you know, some people will have, you know, grandparents help mm. out during the week. And so I think everybody, you know, uses the resources that they have. Completely, absolutely. And everybody's just trying to make it all work, actually. And unless you're one of the people in that family life, you probably don't really know what's going inside it. So you should probably step back from being <laughs> too judgmental. And nobody's getting it right all the time. There's loads of bits mm. where it does go all a bit wonky and wobbly. You know, and it's 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 that I suppose there's a sort of Instagram idea of how everything is where you can feel, Oh, they've really nailed it and what about me? And actually I I do think I do that to myself sometimes. I sort of have a kind of mum's net forum somewhere in my head where they're kind of tapping away saying, you know, Well, that's fine it's fine if you want to do it like that, but personally I never would. Yeah. <laughs> but um I think I think I've got better at recognising that no one's really feeling like they've totally nailed it. The whole judgment thing, mm. it's, it's so destructive. It so destructive. So, 
you know, so destructive and negative. And, and like you say, who knows what's going on pe- with people's yeah. lives. Yeah, well, I think, you know, it does feel that maybe the tide is turned. Well, I think from the next generation, they might be a little bit better at thinking mm-hmm. a bit about what goes on. There's been so many things culturally, whether it be happening to people in their real lives or through TVs and dramas and um, stories. And even my son, my 11-year-old son's assembly today was all about being kind and trying to um, see people for who they really are rather than, you know, stigmatising them. I think, I do hope that they're going to be... We, we place so much emphasis on kindness now with with kids. I don't remember being told half as much to be kind when I was small. Maybe we were. Oh, totally not. I mean, you know, what our, I think the way schools are taking on that social responsibility yeah. as well yeah. is really important. It is. And, you know, I remember when I, when I... When we were looking for schools for Scarlet, in fact, we'd just been looking for a senior school and... Of course, we always, you know, as parents, we now say, well, what's your pastoral care? What's your policy on bullying? What's this? What's yeah. that? You know, our, my parents probably didn't ask that question. It just wasn't a word. You know, it wasn't a thing then. Mm. Um, so I think schools, you know, it, it's it's heartening to see how that's changing. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. I think. Well, I think they're realising that the more holistic support you can give individuals, the better they tend to cope with life in all directions, really. And that actually, there's lots of, you know, without sounding too kind of Americanized about it, there's so many ways to succeed other than just, you know, making it an A or a 10 out of 10 or whatever. It's, it's, it's about sort of growth of a, a person, isn't it? And, and that whole collective thing of it taking a village to, to raise a person actually continues right the way through till, mm. actually, it's probably even later than I would have thought. It's probably like in your 20s. I was actually thinking, because some people say, oh, it's going to be weird when the kids have left home, which obviously is a long way off, but I just feel like not, they're never going to have left. I think there's always going to be one one here, like, coming back. I just can't picture that they'll all, <laughs> all be off at one point. But, but yeah, no, it's kind of... Um, I think we're having a slightly more protracted childhood in a way with that as well, and people are taking a little bit longer maybe to find their profession. We don't have job for life in the same way we the previous generations did as well, so... That, and that everything casts a shadow that can also be quite overwhelming I mean I wonder for your for your daughter what she'll want to do when she's older because having a a mother that's done so much must be awfully inspiring but also you know it can also make you feel like what's what's the thing I do where's my thing I don't th- it sounds like she's going to find it but it's just I think you know for all when you when your parents do the thing that they love and they do it in a way that's managed them see mm. them through a lifetime it's you know yeah, and you don't stop worrying about them, do you? But no. I, I think that um, I've always told her that she can be whatever she wants to be. Mm. You know, there's no pressure on her from me to, you know, continue in the business. Um, I, you know, she's... The great thing about kids is they change their their mind from one week to the next yeah. what they want to do. Yeah. One minute... She, I mean, the, the thing that she seems to be quite consistent with is she wants to be a pilot... Um, so one minute she says a pilot, the next minute it's a teacher, then she wants to be an artist, you know, she's... Um, and I guess you just... I think we, we're much better at letting them find their own thing. Yeah, definitely. Rather than putting them under pressure to be a lawyer or a doctor or any of those sort of perceived, you know, perfect... Yeah, um, stable jobs. Ca- yeah, careers. And I mm. think that... Uh, you know, that when we were looking at schools for her, actually, it was finding an environment that we felt that she was going to be really happy in and that she, you know, she could flourish in. And I think, I think, you know, it's encouraging. And, and you know, I think as well what she ends up being passionate about mm. will be the thing that she's really good at. Yeah. 
So that's um, the happy. I'm hoping she will find her passion. Yeah, I think that's my big hope for my kids too. I think it's the, the one thing where you think that way every day doesn't feel like work in the same way, does it? If you're connected to your to your job in that way. And, and I'm sure with what you do, you know, that is probably epitomises that. Are yeah. your children musical? Uh, some of them, but not... I don't know if I it's going to the be their thing. The there's musical <laughs> instruments everywhere, yeah. And the piano over there and guitars. And, yeah, there's stuff everywhere. But I actually have a feeling that it'll be something, maybe, maybe, a, maybe a couple, if that. I mean, they definitely my eldest ones, the eldest two got very different passions actually they like love music well the eldest loves music but I don't know if that's the thing he'll end up doing I think it was almost too obvious you know it's so obvious like my husband and I are both musicians as I said there's music everywhere in the house I think it's like it's, it's a bit like they need to find something else as long as they find something that they love yes you'd be happy right oh so, yeah so happy same for me although I think if they were one of those people that paints themselves silver and stands in Piccadilly Circle yeah, I'd struggle okay. with that <laughs> Yeah, there's some things I'm like, mm, ideally not that. Or a pole dancer or something. <laughs> I don't somebody, know. Somebody's... Um... I watched J-Lo at the Super Bowl doing her pole dancing. I, was, oh, I thought okay. it was pretty incredible. But then I guess she's not just doing that. <laughs> 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 there's more to it than that. Um, I, I, the only other thing I want to ask you, just a, a sort of silly thing really, because I've had it sometimes where my working life and my sort of family life have have clashed in a way that isn't maybe ideal. Like when, I don't know, when the kids have come to festivals and ended up sort of wandering on stage halfway through my gig and things like that. Have you, I did wonder if you'd ever sort of opened your work bag and found like toys next door, like the sort of potential new range of sex toys for the shop or something like that. Um. <laughs> Doesn't have to be that literal. Oh, but. right. Um, I have opened like my notepad to a meeting to find Scarlett has, you know, scrawled a, <laughs> a, a funny face or something on, on the notepad. I don't think there's any, been anything... It's not like... If she doesn't really... If, if there's things that, you know, she has to wait to... She's older to see, I suppose. You're not kind of, like, hastily, like, screening off something or, like, going swerving her around a different oh, co- corridor at work saying. or something. I mean, she's visited, visited me in the office a couple of times and, uh, you know, um, th- there might have been something a little bit obscure on the desk and so, oh, that's, that's just, you know... You could have like one of those prohibition things, you know, where it goes from like a speakeasy and you press a button and like the table flips around. Like a transformer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. (laughs) Suddenly it's like, it's all just like a normal office. Yeah. Yeah. No, we've not had any embarrassing moments. Ah, that's good. So I'm sure they're to come. I mean, they get more embarrassed, don't they, in their teens, I think. Yeah, it's one of the unexpected joys, actually. So I think I've got all that to come. Yeah, but it's actually really fun. I didn't realise how fun it would be to embarrass kids. It's really, I quite like it. Maybe that says more about me than, than you. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for uh, oh, joining me. And um, you'll be happy to know it sounds like the grouts arrived while we've been chatting and you've got to take your pill and there's all these exciting, <laughs> exciting things happening in our lives. Oh, such is life. Yeah, it's been a real pleasure. Thank you so much. Oh, thank you. Thank you. So that was Jacqueline Gold. What did you think? Do you see what I mean about her gentle voice? It's true, isn't it? But but when I listen back, I can really hear the radical radicalism of what she did. It's pretty incredible, isn't it? I mean, you know, as she summarised herself, she's had death threats, she's been arrested, she's a bullet in the post. This, this woman has dealt with a lot, um, but it hasn't stopped her. And actually now she's tackling menopausal women and their sexual selves. Again, this is still pretty new, pretty groundbreaking. And 
maybe it shouldn't be. Maybe we should have come further, but that is where we're at. So, you know, we just got to deal with it and move forward. And thank goodness there's women like Jacqueline around to think about these things and do something about it. Um, next week, I am joined by Julie Dean, um, who you may or may not know. She set up a company, which you probably do know, called the Cambridge Satchel Company. And the fascinating thing about her is that she set it up in a number of months based on a spreadsheet of ideas she had, of uh, various ideas that she thought could generate enough money to pay for her children's school fees. She, I think she had about three months to get started, summer holidays to get on with it, um, and she didn't just do that. She's kept growing the company. Uh, it's getting bigger and bigger. Uh, and she even advises the government on small businesses and helps entrepreneurs. So she's very, very cool. And we uh, chatted in the most quiet of all places, the British Library. Um, so, yes, come and join me next week. And thank you very much for joining me this week. And thank you to Jessie, who is sat next to me, who's been very, very quiet while I'm talking. Thank you for being so quiet, Jessie. Did you enjoy this week's podcast? Yes. <laughs> Very quiet, but sincere. Yes. All right. Um, see you next week. Have a good one. Take care of yourselves. And see you soon. Let's love. Bye. Can you put them on telephone? Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.